everyone. Welcome to Ask ALB, a new podcast that features interviews with prominent lawyers and thought leaders. We will discuss legal trends, create usable takeaways that tackle pressing legal issues, and hear inspiring stories from senior lawyers. My name is Amanda Chia from Asian Legal Business. We are very excited to do this show, and I hope you will enjoy and find it useful. Today, we have Francis Xavier on Ask ALB. Francis Xavier is the Regional Head of Dispute Resolution at Raja and Tan Singapore, and he was appointed Senior Counsel in January 2009. He practices international commercial treaty arbitration and litigation. Francis is recognized as a leading disputes lawyer in many rankings, including ALB Asia's Top 15 Litigators 2021. He is a chartered arbitrator and is on the arbitrator panels of several leading arbitral institutions. He is the immediate past president of the Inter-Pacific Bar Association and the immediate past global president of Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. Francis is also the general editor of two publications, Civil Litigation in Singapore and Arbitration in Singapore, a practical guide both published by Sweet and Maxwell in 2017 and 2018. He is currently the chairman of the Listings Appeal Committee, Singapore Stock Exchange, and also the chairman of the Enquiry Panel of the Law Society of Singapore. He has been recently reappointed as a member of the Rules Committee, Singapore Academy of Law, for a further two-year term. Hi, Francis. Thank you for joining us, ALB, today. Hi, hi, Amanda. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So today we have Francis Xavier from Raja and Tan. Let's start. Uh, Francis, please tell us about yourself, your childhood family, education background. What are some of the defining moments of your childhood? Well, Amanda, I think uh, the childhood days were not very uh, remarkable, you know, catching spiders, hunting guppies in drains, playing marbles. But I guess if you ask me about defining moments, I think when I was very young, uh, my dad, I think my mom had, when I was born, my mom had severe postpartum depression. And my dad somehow uh, ended up consulting a very famous, um, like an astrologer. And I think that guy basically told my dad that I will not be very bright. In fact, he told him that I will be like a moron. And so my dad figured out, all right, this is my firstborn son, so no choice. We can't give him away. <laughs> so what he decided, I think, was uh, my father was a very gifted footballer. So he decided he would make me into a sportsman. And the one big childhood memory that I have is ever since I was maybe five years old, my dad would force himself to wake up at some unearthly hour, like 5 a.m., uh, uh, when it was still very, very dark, the streetlights were all on, he would wake me up and then he would take me to a large field near my house and he would make me run because that's the way to make me into an athlete. So by the time I became, you know, like 10, 11 years old, every race that I took part, I would win because, you know, I grew up with running. I would, you know, running was like, you know, uh, you know, my, my breath was like nothing running was so easy for me because i started doing it when i was five and uh but the whole and then i, I was running until i think i uh, i did my srp uh, srp uh, form three in malaysia and the minute i actually did reasonably well in the exam my father got a shock and he 
called me in and says, it's up to you whether you want to continue running. And on that day, I gave up running because, you know, it, it was something that was forced upon me. But I think the, the lifelong lesson that I learned, and I'm so grateful to my dad, who's since, of course, gone back to the Lord, is that it took a lot out of him to wake, wake up so early and take me to the field every day, right? Unless it rained. Uh, and so when it rained, I'll celebrate, right? Um, and it taught me that even if you were doing something you didn't like, good at it. So I think that was the backbone of a sense of confidence that I've always had with me that if you put your shoulder to the wheel and did your best, there is no way you could fail. You know, so that was the way I learned it, you know, from my father day after day. So that's not the kind of story that I had expected when you started with your mother, you know, it was, it was difficult <laughs> pregnancy and then consult an astrologer. I did that. That was not what I expected, right? So it sounds like you're a man of many talents. Um, you're now a very successful lawyer um, you're in, in, a, in a career of 34 years. What are some of the achievements that you are very proud of? Well, you, you know, Manta, I think looking back, you know, um, at, at the legal career that I've had, I think the first blessing that I've had, which I, I think, you know, you know, I've been very lucky. I don't think many people will have that blessing to the extent that I have, um, is that I've worked with some of the brightest, um, you know, stars in the legal, um, you know, um, sky here in Singapore, right? So, you know, I was fortunate to start uh, you know, uh, my lawyering uh, with A&G. So I had a great pupil master, Michael Huang. I had a chance to work with Lucian Wong, uh, the likes of Justice Wu now, Wu Bili, uh, Justice Chu Han Teik, um, K. Shanmugam. And then when I moved across in 1998 to Allen and Gladhill, you know, I worked with, uh, you know, great mentors uh, such as uh, V.K. Raja, Stephen Chong, Sundresh Menon, and of course, the many colleagues that I have here. Um, and of course, being in the profession, you, you know, you make many, many friends in the legal fraternity. So I think that has been one of the things that I've been truly proud of. You know, it's, uh, it's been great. Um, and in R&T, I think we've had a, I've had a uh, quite an interesting journey. So we started off as a domestic firm. And over the years, we sort of, you know, uh, reached out across uh, the seas. Uh, and beyond our borders, and today we have 12 offices in 10 countries, that journey has been very, you know, very, very satisfying to form a, you know, huge set of uh, colleagues, comrades and friends across ASEAN and beyond in the region, you know. And uh, one of the journey that has been very exciting has been Singapore's growth into being the, the global arbitration powerhouse. I remember when, uh, you know, uh, my pupil master, Michael Huang, used to be very active in arbitration and I followed in his footsteps. And as Singapore grew, you know, uh, as, a, as a leading light uh, in arbitration, uh, that journey and then, you know, culminated in me being involved in Chartered Institute of Arbitrators through, uh, you know, the persuasion of uh, Richard Tan, uh, my mentor in CIR, and then ultimately becoming uh, CIR global president, you know, uh, you know last year. So that's been an equally satisfying journey. So I would think at many levels, I've been very, very fortunate that this legal journey has been truly, you know, fulfilling, you know, at many levels. Is there anything that you haven't tried, haven't done with your legal career? If I were to ask, what's the next step? Because you've had so many posts, you've done, you've worked with so many associations. What would be the next one, you think? 
Well, you know, Meta, I guess after 34 years, you've ticked all the boxes. So yeah. <laughs> I, 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 unfortunately, I haven't got a box that I haven't ticked yet. So uh, maybe that's why I feel so fulfilled. Maybe, maybe, maybe something more global, maybe something more international. So, you know, this segment of the program is called Up Close, right? And I really want to see this other side of Francis Xavier, and as, as I'm sure uh, many of our audiences do. Um, you know, a couple of us work with you at IPBA 2019 Singapore. Until now, it remains the biggest IPBA by the number of attendees. And you have all these other roles which you've just said, right? Um, one of the things that our audience always wants to know is how do you how do senior lawyers like yourself create time for all these extra things? Because the one thing that stands the same is always everyone has 24 hours, no matter who you are. Can you comment on that? Well, you know, Amanda, it's interesting that you raise it. It's 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 been a lifelong quest with me, right? Because when I started practice, and I think coming from Malaysia and then into into the well, people call it the pressure cooker of Singapore. I think one of the things that struck me was, um, you know, there was constant pressure to give up everything that your heart yearned for and to just hunker down and just focus on lawyering, almost to the exclusion of everything else, you know. And uh, so when I started practice, um, you know, there were a lot of, you know, what I would call limiting beliefs, which were thrust upon me which at one level, you know, I resisted and resented deeply because my sense was always that if being a good lawyer meant that I couldn't be a good son to my father, I couldn't be a good buddy to my friends, I couldn't be a good, you know, person who looked after the community at some point, uh, if I couldn't, you know, and I couldn't be a good ally to myself, I couldn't fill my heart with the things that I love to do, to see, to experience then what is the point in be, being a good lawyer, you know? Uh, and, and, and I constantly questioned it, right? But I think in the first number of years in my career, I, I, I couldn't see life in any other way. So I, 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 I sort of half believed this, uh, you know, someday conversations that, you know, were fed into you. Someday, you know, in the future, maybe in 20, 30 years time, when you become a good lawyer, maybe you'll have time to, you know, uh, really enjoy life. Um, but what happened, fortunately for me, uh, and, you know, because I'm constantly railing against this, uh, quite by accident, I think into my uh, ninth or tenth, tenth year of practice, uh, I decided, you know, that I've had, I've had, I'm, I'm tired of having a someday conversation. Uh, I got to a point where I think I was burning the candle at both ends. And I said, you know what, no more someday conversations. I wanted to see the summit of Mount Everest like now, <laughs> you know, so I somehow forced myself to make the time. And this was like within the next two weeks, you know, I, I forced myself to make time and I squeezed out 11 days and I went to, to Everest, the Everest region, you know, um, it was a very difficult journey because, you know, flights were sold out and everyone said, this is off season. There were rebels killing people up in the mountains but I refused to yield, you know, I refused to say it's not possible. I fought it all the way and I made it happen. And I think when I came back, I had an epiphany, which is that if you fight for something hard enough, you can make it happen, you know, and it doesn't matter what your mind, your logical mind thinks the odds are. 
And I learned a very important lesson, which is, and when I came back, I was so full of life. You know, I'd seen the summit of Everest. I'd been to the Himalayas. I'd seen all this, you know, 8,000 meter, almost nine kilometer high peaks. And my, all of a sudden, my life, my heart was full. And then when I went back to the office, I was, I was, it was joyful to get to the office. And so from that moment on, I made sure that I followed my passion. And, you know, and I thought initially, I thought it probably have a damaging effect on my practice because now I'm distracted. But you know what I discovered, Amantha? That has made me the lawyer that I am today. Because I can't see how I could have been as creative as I became, as passionate as I became, as energized as I became as a lawyer, if not for the fact that my heart is full. You know, if you're running on empty, of what good are you, you to anyone, right? You're constantly bitching about the fact that, oh, you would love to do the silk route, but, you know, you're never going to see it for the next 20 years. I don't know. It's not a very empowering conversation. So I, when I came back, I then discovered that, you know, when I followed my passions, I was fully alive. You know, it's like when you're in an exam and you, and you need to prepare or you, you have a deadline for an essay, the last two days, you, you don't understand how you access nuclear capability and you get it done. But that nuclear capability, you accessed it because of a threat. You know, somebody had a big stick and saying, says to you, if you don't do it now, you're going to get kicked out of law school. And then you access that nuclear capability. I learned that by accessing, you can access the nuclear capability through passion. So if I have a percussion session at 6.45 with one of the world's top drummers who happens to be in Singapore and I negotiate a 45-minute segment with him one-on-one -on -one. and in in the course of that day i had to get out two opinions you know what i will get it done because there is no way on earth i'm going to miss the session the percussion session with the the world's greatest uh, latin percussionist for instance and i found that you could access nuclear capability by scheduling things that you loved you know imagine if you had a, if you're a young person and you had a hot date at seven o'clock on a particular day and on that day, you have to get A, B, C done. Do you think you're not going to get A, B, and C done in great time, in super, <laughs> you know, in super spirits? That's what you're going to do. You're going to pull up everything you can in yourself and get it done. And so that's nuclear capability access, you know. And so I found when I filled my life with the things that I love to do, that my heart yearned for, I became a better lawyer. I became, because I could access that nuclear capability, and I became fully alive. Nothing beats being alive, Amanda. What's your nuclear power? I mean, what drives you, you know, Francis? It's the joy. It's, it's the song in your heart, you know. I mean, when your heart is full, you're not bitching, right? So you know how, you, you know, it's so... All right, for instance, I'm leaving on Saturday, you know, on a trip. Of course, it's a work trip, but I'm looking forward to it. But because there is something, or, or let's say, you know what you do, you, you're having a, you're, you're, you're a busy trial lawyer. You're super busy. But you know what? You have taken the trouble to ask yourself, what is the one thing you could do this year that would make you so happy? And your answer was, I want to spend two weeks with the exotic animals in Galapagos, right? So you wanted to get to Ecuador and fly to Galapagos. And you researched it in your free time whatever time you had and you have booked a flight and it's only it's july now but you've booked a flight 
on, say, the 7th of November. You know how you get excited, how you get depressed, you know, on a Sunday night and how you get excited on a Friday, right? So now, even though your trip, you're only going to physically fly out in November, you're excited. You can already see, you know, the exotic animals in front of you. You can see Ecuador. The Ecuador is on the horizon. And all of a sudden, you're energized. And you know, you've got to get it all done properly in style before you take the plane. And so every day, it's not business as usual. You know, you're wide awake. You want to go in. What is it that I have to tackle? We, what are the dragons that I have to slay? What are the tasks that I have to complete properly so that I can have a great holiday? All of a sudden, you're alive. All of a sudden, you're accessing nuclear capability. So I realized that, you know, as opposed to you don't have that trip because you're saying, oh, my God, I've got five trials this year. So Galapagos is not possible for the next 10 years, perhaps, maybe after 10 years. And you're in this state of, you know, you're, you're bitching to yourself, right? Life is tough. You know, uh, my career is... Uh, oppressing me. How creative are you? How alive are you? How, you know, how dynamic are you? I can see as you're describing this, it's like you're busting out, you know, you really have <laughs> to contain your passion for this. Um, I think it's really that reason, right, that that drives you, to that, 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 you know, gives you meaning to whatever you do. You also sound like you lead a, a super organized life, right? I just have to say, us, you, you, you still sleep, right? <laughs> to manage all these things. I get too much of sleep every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are some of your guiding principles? How do you stay super organized? Well, so so this is what happened, right? So so when I found out that the secret to life is to follow your heart, right? To really living is to follow your heart. Then so many things got prop up, right? I want to pick up, I want to buy this drum set and I want to form a band. I want to stand by the side of an erupting volcano as it erupts. I want to be 120 meters below the surface of the sea to be eight meters away from a bull shark, you know, without a cage. I want to get certified on the Formula One, you know. So, so all these things start bursting into your life because that's what makes you excited, right? And so now not only do you have to do five trials a year or 10 trials a, a year, but you also want to dive with the bull sharks, get certified on the race cars. You want to climb, you know, an erupting volcano in Indonesia. Then a huge challenge looms in front of you, right? Because it's easy to run life, you know, by cutting out everything you love and just focusing on what you think has to be done, right? Um, you know, not doing the things you love and just going to work and just plowing at it because that's what you're meant to do. That's your duty. Uh, you need to, you know, save money and so on. But when you say, look, I'm going to get all of those five trials done, but at the same time, I'm going to have fun with the bull sharks. Uh, and at the same time, I'm going to spend quality time with my parents who are abroad. At the same time, I'm going to take my parents to see the Taj Mahal and so on. Life then becomes very challenging, right? It's not, it's not so simple anymore. So you start walking at the edge of the sharp tip of the knife, right? Uh, you need to be fully awake. You need to pay attention. And so I went on a journey because I was not willing to compromise and go back to default mode and be, you know, uh, an animated vegetable, right? Um, nice work leaving. <laughs> yes. And so 
I had to master various things. I think I think the first thing that I had to master was how do I stay in the zone, right? At any time of the day, you know. So it it, it doesn't it doesn't work for me if I'm very very fresh in the morning, but in the afternoon, you know, my my concentration goes off, brain fog sets in because you know the more effective you are, the less time you need to spend physically in the office. Uh, you know, right? Um, when you're very, very fresh, you can speed through your work. You can do better work faster, right? Yeah. In less time, you do better work, right? And so, how do you stay in the zone? So, I had to master diet to keep away the brain fog, right? No after lunch drowsiness. So, diet, vitality, right? You are as strong as your body is strong. Your mind is as strong as your body. Um, what cardio principles do you have to infuse into your life? Uh, you know, how do you get quality sleep? So I measure my sleep on an app called Sleep Cycle. I also wear the Aura Ring. So I had to learn all of this, right? So it's not unidimensional. So that's at a macro level. I had to go into a journey and ask myself, how do I stay at my peak, you know, mental and physical, right? How, how, how can I stay in my best shape? It, it reminded me of the days when, you know, I used to have a 30-kilometer run. I'm taking part in a 30-kilometer uh, race and I needed to be in peak condition for the race. So being a good lawyer is the same thing. It, it, you know, it, the better athlete you are, the better lawyer you are, right? So that's at a macro level. And then beyond that, at a micro level, I think there were tools that I discovered, right? By looking for them, by, you know, seek and you shall find. So, uh, so one of the tools were Kaizen, right? Kaizen says, one bite of the apple at a time. You, you take one bite of the apple one day at a time and soon you will consume the apple. So I wanted to learn the drums. The Kaizen principle says, I need to spend 15 minutes a day, just even as little as 15 minutes a day, practicing on my rudiments and I'll become a drummer. And that's what happened. That's how I became a drummer. Because can you imagine uh, being a trial lawyer and trying to become a drummer? Most people think it's impossible. And I think if you look at it from the traditional you know, concept of having lessons and you know, spending hours and hours, it's not possible. But using Kaizen, small blocks of time done on a daily basis, you make it. You know, it's amazing. So one other tool that I used with devastating effectiveness in my life was the Pareto Principle, right? And believe you me, the Pareto Principle really works. If I were to tell you that a small proportion of your effort produces a disproportionate amount of your result, then all you need to do is to identify yourself for yourself what is the small amount of effort that creates this bonanza and then multiply that, you know. And many people know it as theory, but I kind of went into it and realized at a very microscopic level what in my day-to-day -day moments were creating my results, right? And it took me a while to analyze it. But once I got clarity, I became way more powerful than I was before. Now I could handle twice the workload and spend less time, you know, doing what needs to be done on, the, on that level of workload, you know. And then at another level, at a micro level, you have to question your relationship with everything you do, right? Are you handling emails in an optimal fashion? If you're the sort, you show up in the office first thing in the morning, open your laptop and you start clearing emails, that's not optimal, right? <laughs> You know, so the way I found works for me, for instance, is that I schedule time during the day when I will, you know, clear my email. So 
I'll start the day with the biggest dragon I have to slay, right? Mm -hmm. Get into the office. You know, and this is, uh, many people teach that, right? I just started applying it, right? You, uh, you, And then as you battle the dragon and you, you've hacked off five of his tentacles and you're a little tired, you need a break, you take a walk around the office. Um, and then when you get back to your desk, you start clearing emails for 20 minutes, right? right? And then when you've done that, switch back to slaying the dragon, you know? So what you need to journey into what really works for you. So, you know, it's a little bit like putting the big rocks in, interspersed by the small rocks, and then you can pour in a lot of water, you know? You need to figure out what is, ask yourself every day, how can you do this better, faster? Right, yes. This is part and parcel of knowing yourself first, right? Having the tools, analyzing what works, and then coming up with a routine that's very, very you um, in order to get this work. Um, you know, you mentioned here and there, right, about the forest, uh, about, you know, animals. It sounds like these are some of the things that you do outside of work. And of course, your band, I can't tell you, you know, I think three people came up and said, we really want to hear about Francis and his band and thing, <laughs> your wig and all of that. Can you tell us a little bit more? What other, you know, what, what, what are you pursuing, right, outside of work now? And, and can you tell us more about your, your beliefs, your, your courses? these courses well you well you see once i once i allowed myself to give my heart free reign i was amazed at how you know much of a rainbow the creator made us you know yeah. because it's easy to think that you were meant to be a lawyer right because you ended up be becoming a lawyer and you start focusing on the color red but you're not any one color you know you are composite white light broken down into the you know all the colors of the rainbow and all the shades of the rainbow so you know being a great lawyer may be a bright red but that's not even the full spectrum of red you know let alone the other colors that are next to it you know so i discovered there were many things that my heart you know yearned for right so to answer your question um you know what the biggest thing that is closest to my heart outside of work is you know, we do a lot. I do a lot of work in Malaysia, so it's tiger conservation, conservation of the remaining um, forests, uh, the, the central spine. So I do a huge amount of work. Uh, I I can't say that we've seen much results. <laughs> we've seen some. Re <laughs> you do a lot of work. Do you actually be there and and do the work? Yes, yes. Except for COVID, so I work through a team that that's operating. So I'm I'm in touch with all the various. Take tigers, for instance. So I'm in touch with Rimba, you know, Pantera, uh, WWF. So I'm, you know, we have ongoing conversations and I've been doing this for the last, you know, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years. Uh, and, and so we are constantly, uh, so, you know, I get updates on a bi-weekly basis as to what the rangers are doing in Klantan, in Trunganu. You know, some of them will, will see a baby tiger. And because of the pandemic, uh, yeah. the poachers are gone. And okay. we are seeing uh, tiger cup uh, footprints. I get pictures of them. Uh, you know, it brightens up my day. So I spend a lot of lot of time on tiger conservation. I spend a lot of time with organizations like Yayasan uh, Hasana in Malaysia on central spine conservation, um, uh, river conservation, lake conservation. Um, that's a big part of what I do. Uh, the, the, the next thing that's very close to my heart is, um, you know, 
reaching out to disadvantaged groups. And unfortunately, you know, in Singapore, you have got three over thousand. Uh, fortunately, in Singapore, you have three three over thousand VWOs, voluntary welfare organisations, taking care of a lot of people. So I do some work here through Rotary, uh, uh, through various other organisations. But the biggest thing that I do is I formed an NGO years ago in Malaysia called Bumi Alam. And through that NGO, we work with Anwar Ibrahim, the Pakatan Harapan Coalition, and we do a lot of work, outreach to youth. We, we've, we've opened up uh, quite a number of preschools, um, uh, single mom uh, enrichment centers, youth enrichment, computer classes. So we, we raise money, buy computers, uh, pay for the teachers. We teach single mothers, you know, um, uh, sewing, how to use a sewing machine and to, and to, and to become certified seamstresses. Um, so that's what we do. And in the in the in the in the last uh, year and a half, a lot of what we've been doing has been very basic. So we've supplied food uh, for something like tens of thousands of families, you know, because the food has been most of them are, are just starving, right? Just last week, I think we we sent food up for one thousand families. Um, so uh, that's the next thing that's very close to my heart. And uh, and other than that, you know, uh, being involved in the legal field outside of practice in CIR in IPBA uh, and uh, organizations such as SAL. I'm the chair of the junior college program. I've been the, the chair for more than a decade. Uh, other SAL committees such as promotion of Singapore law, outreach of uh, the influence of uh, thought leadership of Singapore in arbitration, in the arbitration world all, all across the world. I've been involved in that for a long time. And beyond that, of course, I've got many, many personal interests as, as you can gauge, you know, from diving to <laughs> many other uh, crazy things. Uh, people always say that I'm an adrenaline junkie. Maybe I am. You know, maybe I don't have a wife to stop me from doing any of these things. You know, I'm I run amok uh, from the forest to everywhere else. No, you said this just now that these are very basic things, but I think especially in the pandemic, it's all these basic differences that someone can make, right? That's truly important. I can't imagine, you know, it's it's difficult enough coping with the pandemic, but you talk about just basic, having a basic meal. I, I think that's such an important and a big impact it makes to these people, right? I, I, I absolutely should not discount um, the impact. Um. I, I like to ask this question, right? Uh, and I'm guessing that I know your answer, which is one big world problem that world leaders should address. Because when we look at the world now, especially in the last 18 months, there's so many things happening. Pandemic is just one. It's not just a pandemic. Um, from your position, what is that problem, right? Um, and, and why? Well, Amanda, well, you know, you, you're quite right. You already heard part of it. I would say the single biggest challenge that the world needs to confront um, and tackle properly is, you know, our environment. Uh, not only the physical environment, forests, wilderness areas, um, you know, but also, you know, the wildlife, right? Um, I think we've come to a stage where we are indiscriminately destroying forests, wild spaces. And this is extremely short-sighted. So it's something that, you know, and, and we do a lot of work in Malaysia, right? Because, you know, you can't, you can't, there was a time, you know, I was trying to 
spread myself and, and focus on East Malaysia and West Malaysia, I realized, it, you know, it was too, too big a call, you know. So I just focus on the peninsula, right? I've got other teams focusing on uh, Sabah and Sarawak. And I can tell you this, we've put in years and years of work, coordination of speaking to government uh, departments, wildlife departments, to anti-poaching units. And if you ask me how successful have you been, I will, I'll be very frank. I don't think we've had even a fraction of the traction that we would have liked to have seen. But you know what? We don't care. Because I think we can't give up on this work. We have made progress. Sometimes it's very tiny, right? It's very tiny in the sense that we succeed in getting a small area gazetted. Mm. We succeed in make, making sure that in one particular area, a, a, a road where the poachers constantly are utilizing uh, is then being monitored by the army, you know? Uh, it solves that problem, but then you have 150 other problems, you know, uh, all across all the neighboring areas. Uh, so sometimes you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, you know, giving up because, you know, it, it takes a lot of time, right? You're not paid for it. It's a labor of love, but you keep going on because, you know, if you gave up, then there is no hope, yep. right? Uh, then the forest will be overrun. But you're not alone. There are many people. So we hold hands with the many organizations, many other individuals who are committed to the cause. And we move, even if it's one inch at a time, and sometimes we move up one inch, and then, you know, we discover that a huge area has been logged, you know, illegally, even though it was supposed to be a forest sanctuary. Uh, and so there are a lot of setbacks. But I think it's important you don't give up. You don't give up on the wildlife. You don't give up on the forest. You don't give up on what matters. What's your next step? Um, are you still going to focus on the peninsula? I am. No, no, no. I will focus on the peninsula until the day I die. You know, uh, the forests are amazing. I spent a lot of time in the forest. So just before the pandemic, uh, I spent uh, three weeks with a tribe called the Tamiya. They're the forgotten tribes of Tamiya. Uh, they cook for me in bamboo the way they've cooked for thousands of years. And they took me, they showed me how they hunt in the rivers. They showed me herds of wild elephants, how not to be trampled. Where the, they, they, they taught me elephant body language. Now, this is simply amazing, right? So one of the things I'm doing is like uh, trying to create an eco zone, uh, a, a special park where visitors can have the kind of experience that I've had, you know. Uh, most people in Malaysia haven't even heard of the Tamiya. They've heard of the Iban Sanoi but they haven't heard of the Tamiya. They, are, they, they still live like they've lived for thousands of years, right? Uh, hundreds of thousands of years. And so um, we have many, many plans. You know, we want to set up tiger sanctuaries. We want to set up tiger parks where, you know, it's like going to Africa, right? I've been to so many big parks in Africa. You can see the wildlife because it's basically grassland. Malaysia is a rainforest, but we want to create the experience where you can go into the rainforest and see a wild tiger, not, not a tiger in a zoo, but a yep. wild tiger in control situation, right? So we, we, I'm very excited, but it's obviously a long-term program. Uh, so we are working on initiatives like that, tiger forest, forest conservation, eco-research into forests. Uh, how do we tap onto the indigenous community to be trackers, anti-poacher squads, uh, educating them uh, on the importance of the forest? How do we work, you know, to create uh, tourist attractions in Malaysia that are, you know, alive and viable there, there, there's a lot of work to be done 
Sounds like a very fulfilling life, you know. You have you mentioned the animals, you mentioned the rainforest. You your work takes you everywhere. You you I mean, even in Singapore, I'm sure you have a very busy routine, right? Are there any regrets in life? I don't want to sound like you know this is not a negative question, but just is there anything else that you haven't done? Um, is there anything you want to do? And you said you're an adrenaline junkie, all right? <laughs> um, what keeps you from trying, and, and what's your next thing? Well, you know, Manta, once I had that epiphany uh, in the Everest region, uh, when I came back, you know, uh, every year, every quarter, every half year, I would take out an empty sheet of paper and I would ask myself the question, if I was dead at the end of the quarter, if I was dead at the end of the mid-year, if I was dead at the end of the year, what is the one thing I wanted to do, see or experience or who is the one or two persons or families uh, that I needed to reconnect with if I was going to breathe my last. And so fortunately, for the last many years, I have been creating what subsequently, you know, so the movie, The Bucket List came out yep. years after I created my bucket list. I didn't realize they call it a bucket list. So, so fortunately today, I can tell you that if the Lord calls me up now, I stop breathing uh, because we do breathe only upon the grace of the Lord. Uh, if I stop breathing now, I would have hardly any regrets, you know. I I have a bucket list now. Um, so diving in Raja Ampat is one of them. Uh, climbing these uh, two two volcanoes. Uh, one is a cone volcano uh, in Congo, and then climbing this uh, uh, shield volcano in Ethiopia. Uh, um, and I have other things, right? I want to dive with the great white sharks at the tip of uh, South Africa. I, I, I miss it the last time because uh, the, the weather conditions were bad. Um, but you know what? Um, I will do it, I'm sure, when the, uh, when the pandemic uh, you know, uh, is quelled. But I've had so many. I'm ticking off you know, six to eight um, yeah. things. I've been doing that for the last two decades, right? So the one thing that I will not have much of is regrets, I'm afraid, Amanta. Thank you so much for sharing your multi-dimensional life, Francis. <laughs> it's very, very interesting to hear. Uh, I'm really glad to be able to see this side of you, right? I'm sure that you work with so many of your colleagues, your, your customers, your friends, and it's just really, really interesting, very insightful. Um, thank you so much for being here with us at RCLP. Thank you, Amanta. It's been a pleasure. It was, uh, it was fun. Thank you. All right, thank you. It has been Francis Xavier on Us ALB. With that, we would like to thank everyone for joining us today. Remember, Us ALB can be streamed on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And we'll catch you in the next episode. 